Hey, hon. Welcome home. You know, it's like 8 o'clock. I know. I'm sorry. Well, we already ate dinner. There's leftovers in the fridge. Kids are in the living room. You know, they set up that game, Settlers of the Cadden, or whatever it's called. You promised to play it with them, and they've been waiting for over an hour. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't think work was going to take this long. You know, I called and texted you a bunch of times, and the last time I heard from you, it was like 5 o'clock. You said you were going to be late, but now it's three hours later, and you show up and walk through the door like nothing's wrong. I'm sorry. I should have texted. You know, John asked me to stay late to fix next quarter's projections. They're all messed up. He's got this big meeting. He needed them tomorrow. You know, why does that fall on you? I mean... You didn't do those projections, and you moved out of that position like three weeks ago. I know, but Nick, you know, he took over for me. He, he gave his notice a couple weeks ago, and has since stopped caring about work at all. John knows I'm the only one that can come in and fix this situation, so he asked me to come in and help out. And, you know, frankly, I think I'm going to have to help out in this area for the next couple weeks. That's just great. I mean, you know, you, now you're doing the work of, like, two people's jobs. It's ridiculous. You're never going to be around here. It's almost like you don't want to be here. So, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be. You know what? I'm not happy about this situation any more than you are. I'm not choosing to do this. This is something I have to deal with right now at work. I don't like working 12-hour days. I don't like missing meals with my family. I don't like missing time with my family. And I especially don't like it when a wife accuses me of not wanting to be at home. You know, this is where I want to be 100% of the time. But right now, that's not reality. You know what? Maybe this whole thing is just a blessing because I don't want to be here tonight. Maybe I'll just find someplace else to stay. You know what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. You know, work is crazy. I'm always doing things for other people. I shouldn't have taken it out on you. Yeah. I'm sorry, too. I mean, I can see you're upset and work's been weighing on you. Just that, you know, I didn't know when you were coming home, and it just kind of seems like you're putting work, you know, over the, over the family. I promise you that's not the case. I'm, you know what? I'm going to do a better job texting you when I'm going to be late, and, you know, when situations come at, uh, up at work, I'll, you know, so we can communicate better. Okay. I forgive you. And, you know, I know God is here with us, and I know he's going to help us work through this, too. I agree. We just have to trust him. Yeah, everything's all right. Hey, son, you ready to play that game? Uh, what, Sellers of the Crouton? What, what's it called? Oh, it's Sellers of Catan. Let him hear it. Good stuff. Good stuff, right? But I'll bet it made you just a little bit uncomfortable. Amen? Yeah, not, not real comfortable stuff when we get to talk about um, conflict uh, in, in our homes. Uh, but you know, the good news is Scripture talks about uncomfortable things. So we can figure out how we work through those things, how we get beyond those things, how our homes become absolutely different than every other home out there because we're a Christ-centered home. And so today we're going to
think about those Beatitudes again that we've been looking at and look at one specific Beatitude. Uh, It's in Matthew 5, verse 9. So get out your device, uh, get out your Bible, whatever you need to, grab the half sheet, take notes, whatever. Because uh, I suspect this topic is something that's real for uh, absolutely all of us, right? That, that that experience of conflict that comes up in our house. And uh, we already agreed way back in the beginning, a couple, uh, three weeks ago now, we started this series uh, to say we, we want our homes to be different. We want them to be blessed, right? We want, we want God to do God's preferred action uh, in and through uh, our families. And, and so today we're going to say, okay, what, what is God's preferred action in and through our families around this arena of conflict uh, in our homes? And it all gets centered in, in the one word that's in uh, the Beatitude. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now that's a key word. Blessed are the peacemakers makers, right? There's an important distinction to understand when we first pull up that word. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. That's a huge difference. In fact, I, if you go through the half sheet, uh, at least for me, I, I think I put in there a big M all the time, barring all the spelling grammatical problems that that creates. But the big M, just say it's about making, right? Not about keeping, right? It's about Making So if you look at peacekeepers, peacekeepers are about just keeping the peace, right? They're not about making a lasting experience of change related to conflict. They're just about avoiding the opportunity or the experience of conflict. So peacekeepers, and you've got one of these in your family probably. A lot of families have a peacekeeper, somebody who plays that role kind of in the family and not just your you know, in-home family, but your extended family, you can think about them, especially today. And the peacekeeper is always about just avoiding conflict, avoiding the issue, and avoiding the hurt that comes from it. And so their goal is just to keep the peace. That's it. Just keep the peace. Whatever it costs, just keep the peace. And that means when you go to those big extended family uh, gatherings like Thanksgiving or whatever it is, uh, the family reunion, uh, and before you get out of the car, you know, mom or dad is saying to the kids, now behave and we aren't going to talk about this, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table and you're giving God thanks and you're looking down the table and you're thinking about the conflict, the issue that is unresolved, that's been festering under the surface for how long with so-and-so down the table, and you're kicking your husband saying, just keep your mouth shut about it, right? Just keep quiet about it. We're just not going to talk about it today, right? That, that's the truth, right? That's the reality in our families, because our families are made up of broken people just like us. And we broken people think somehow all we have to do is just keep the peace. As long as we're not in open conflict with one another, somehow it'll be okay. And the scripture would tell us that is just false thinking. That's just worldly false thinking, right? True peace is not the absence of conflict, right? It just means the conflict is festering underneath the surface, right? 
When you, when you, husband and wife, are sitting at the table and there's something that is an issue in your marriage and in your relationship and you go, you know, supper after supper after supper after supper and you never get around to talking it, eventually what happens? Some little thing is said, some little thing happens and all of a sudden what? Kaboom! Right? Kaboom! And everything blows up. Peacemakers aren't about peacekeeping. It's not about just avoiding or having the absence of conflict, right? It's not about saying it's simply having two enemies not fighting, right? Go to your opposing corners, right? Just keep you apart. Go to your opposing corners. What is it? What is it? Peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is about the absence of conflict in which the opposite sides are being brought together in righteousness. That is a key word. That's a Bible word, right? We've unpacked that before, hopefully, for you. Righteousness, right? Getting right. How? Getting right with God, which enables us to get right with other people. Peacemakers seek not simply the absence of conflict, but they seek the restoration of long-term relationships. That's different. It's not the absence of conflict. It's actually seeking righteousness, seeking a right, holy-based relationship. Peacekeeping, absence of conflict. Peacemaking, growing through the conflict to another place that's right and righteous. It's all based on, uh, on the, the Hebrew word. Really, there's two Two languages, you know, in the scriptures. There's the New Testament Greek and the Old Testament Hebrew. If you look at uh, the uh, New Testament and you find the word peace, uh, it's uh, that word there, arene. And you go to the Hebrew and you find the word peace, and it's the word shalom. Heard the word shalom before? Yeah, that is like a really cool Old Testament Hebrew word. And it's just so hard to describe. It's such a, a full word, right? And shalom is, is that greeting and that parting, that blessing uh, word that is so much bigger than just the absence of conflict, right? Not just that you would have peace, but notice it's that, that you would not only not have peace in this particular moment, but on to the future, you would not fall on hard times. Or even more than that, I wish you the highest good, right? So, so it's thinking about not just the absence of conflict as peace, but peace on a bigger and broader perspective that actually works toward a bigger end than just the absence of conflict, but works toward that experience of the highest good being right, being really right and righteous with someone, someone else. That means what? For peacemakers. For peacemakers, then, here's the deal. Peacemakers need to be ready to embrace the conflict. Don't swipe it, you know, sweep it under the carpet. Understand that it exists. Accept that it exists and go ahead and step into the conflict. Embrace the conflict. As you embrace the conflict, it means you will step into that conflict, you acknowledge that it exists, and you will focus on the issue, not the person, but you'll focus on the issue at hand. You'll stay issue-focused, and you do all of that knowing, here's the amazing thing, that God can even use conflict. I mean, think about the Old Testament. Is there stories of conflict in the Old Testament? 
Oh my gosh, all over the place, right? Tons of stories of conflict in the Old Testament. And yet God was working in the middle of all of those experiences, even the experiences of conflict. You see, peacemakers enter into the conflict. They embrace the conflict. They, they confront the issue because they understand God works there. And they expect God to do that. They expect healing. They expect that God can actually accomplish peace, shalom, highest good. They expect it. They look for it, and they're willing to sacrifice for the sake of it. They're willing to step into that and sacrifice to overcome the evil, to accomplish a lasting peace. That's what peacemakers do. Peacemakers are not peacekeepers. They are peacemakers that look to something lasting. What does it mean? If we accept in our families that we're going to have those periods of conflict, then we have to understand and just not avoid them. Except that's part of being broken people in a broken world. Conflict's going to come. And so we acknowledge that and we just step into that. But we do it expecting God to work. Let me give you a, a, a kind of an example, I think, of what that may look like in the New Testament where some real chaos happened. And what's interesting, this is the story from Matthew 8 where Jesus calms the storm. You may have heard that story before, where Jesus calms the storm. What I want you to do, though, as we look at this story today, is look at not the chaos of the storm, right? So there's conflict. There's the chaos of the storm. But there's a conflict that takes place between Jesus and his disciples inside the chaos of the storm. That's what's kind of cool about this story. It says, after Jesus uh, left in a boat with his disciples, a terrible storm suddenly struck the lake, and the waves started splashing into the boat. And Jesus was doing what? Sound asleep. He's chilling. Right? He's sound asleep. He's tired. Had a big day. He's just sleeping in the boat. He's just chilling. Chaos is forming. Right? The waves are starting to, to whip up. The wind is whipping up. Everything's starting to fall apart. Chaos is starting to happen. And Jesus is what? Calmly sleeping. Calmly sleeping. It says, So the disciples went over to him, woke him up, and they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, notice the exclamation points at the end of their statements. Right? It would probably really look something like, Jesus, come on, man. Don't you even care? Are you so self-centered and self-focused that all you care about is getting a few winks of sleep while we're going to die? I think that's kind of what it sounds like, right? Yeah, what are they doing? This is conflict. They're entering into conflict with him. They're saying, wait a minute. This is all about us, and you are letting us die. What is wrong with isn't that what happens so often in our homes? We get so self-absorbed. And when conflict comes, it's always the other person's fault. And what happens? Did you notice with this husband and wife what happened to their voices as the conflict continued? What happened to their voices? Right? Their voices elevated. And as their voices elevated, the conflict elevated. The disciples elevate, and they blame Jesus. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? 
How does he deal with this? The accusations are now made against him. How does he respond? Does he wake up and say, Hey, I'm sorry, man. I was just thinking, I, did I mess up? I'm really bad. All on me. Really sorry about that. You know what? I'm going to just calm this things down, and we'll just get across the lake, and it'll all be good, right? We're okay? Is everything okay? If he didn't respond in a way that just says, look, we just need to have absence of conflict, right? What does he do? Jesus replies, why are you so afraid? You surely don't have much faith. Whoa! How did he respond to them? He just names a deeper issue in their life. He names a deeper issue. He, he doesn't talk about the storm. That's what they're concerned about. He doesn't talk about the storm that's going on. Instead, he names and acknowledges calmly a deeper issue that's at hand. He goes to the issue. He accepts the conflict, embraces it, and he goes to the issue. Now, of course, before the story is all done, he calms everything, right? And uh, he got up and he ordered the winds and the waves to calm down, and everything was calm, and the men in the boat were amazed and said, Who is this? You'll be amazed in your home if you take serious the role of not being a, keep, a peacekeeper, but being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker. Okay, what does this do? What does this mean? How do we do this peacemaking thing? Let me make some suggestions from Scripture for you this morning about how you can be blessed because you accept and you step into the conflict, embrace and go to the issue, and become peacemaker in your home. First step. The first thing to know is peacemakers speak from their peace relationship. Right? If you go to Romans 5, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Our peace in our homes comes first from our peace relationship with Christ. If, if we're not at peace with Christ, then it's difficult for us to be a peacemaker. Right? It starts with our own relationship, our own personal relationship with Christ, being in such peace with Christ. It's that lack of conflict between Christ and myself, right? I, my life is his. My home is his. My kids are his. There's no conflict there. I understand it. I get it. Everything that I have is his, all of my life. It's about him. It's about his cause. I'm not in conflict between me and the world. I am absolutely his. We start in the experience of being absolutely what? Right. Righteous. We're right with Christ. Now, some of you today, this, this is an invitation for you. That you've still been keeping one foot in, in, in one camp and one foot in the other camp, and you're just not totally there yet. You're just not absolutely right with Christ. And if, if you can't get there, it, you, you can't step into the fullness of what it means to be a peacemaker in your home. And, and so you need to just wrestle with that when this message is done. You need to be able to look at your own life and say, wait a minute, am, am, am I at peace with Christ? Have, have I received and accepted the absolute forgiveness that he gives over my life? Have I moved to a place where my life is absolutely his and I know he has absolute control of my future and I'm just at peace with whatever he asks of me or requires of me? 
You, you get where that goes? Look at what the text says. Then, big word, then, when you've got that, then you will do what? You will overflow. What happens? If you're going to have peace in your homes, if, if mom and dad, husband and wives, extended family, if you're going to be a peacemaker, it starts with being at peace with Christ. And letting that peace with Christ just absolutely overflow into your other experiences. You can see in Matthew 7 where Jesus gives us a warning when we don't do that, right? When we, when we don't have that peace and we start blaming others before we deal with our own business, right? He gives us a warning and says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First do what? Take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, when you're at peace with Christ, you're going to be able to see clearly. You'll be able to step into the role of peacemaker with clarity and calmness. It starts by making peace first with Christ. Second, we overflow then and we, we, we embrace the conflict. We step into the situation, but we do that with a right attitude. And we speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4 says. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We need to be able to speak the truth. Go to the issue, right? Don't put it on the rug anymore. Just, just speak to the issue. Now, there's a key thing here. Speak that issue out. Speak to the issue. Speak the truth to that issue, but do it in love. Love is a qualifier of how and when you speak the truth. So often in our homes, especially in our marriages, we speak the truth. We just speak the truth at the wrong time, right? When they were elevated in their, their volume, right, and conflict was elevated, there was probably some truth being spoken back and forth, right? You spend way too much time at work. Well, well yeah, it's demanding me. I'm trying to provide for the family, right? I mean, there was some truth that was going on, but was any of that truth really getting heard? Probably not. Because what? They were speaking the truth not in love. They were speaking the truth out of anger and frustration. So when you speak the truth, you need to be able to speak that truth. But speak that truth at the right time with the right attitude. Here's what Proverbs says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words do what? They could have kept going for hours, right? They could have kept going for hours. And somebody needed to step back from the conflict and just calm down. What did Jesus do to the storm? Calmed it down. When the storm and the chaos is happening in your marriage or in your family or in relationship with your kids, things are getting out of hand, you've got to step back and just calm the storm. Because you can't speak the truth in a way that's heard. You can't speak the truth lovingly when you do it in that moment of anger. So you need to step back and just calm the storm. Ephesians, really great image of understanding that. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. What's driving your thoughts and attitudes when you speak the truth in love? Your own desires or the truth of what the Spirit leads you to say? 
right? Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When we're peacemakers, we have to do that out of our peace. We step out speaking the truth in love with a spirit attitude, right? With a Holy Spirit-governed attitude and thinking. And then we do it at the right time. Uh, Husbands and wives, I don't know if you know that, but uh, one of the worst times to speak the truth in love is five minutes before your spouse walks out the door to go to, go to work, right? Had that experience before? Not the right time. You may be speaking the truth, but you're not speaking the truth at the right time, right? You, you need to be able to have those conversations as a family, as husbands and wives, but you do that at the right time, Right? Sure, growing up, my kids frustrated me sometimes. I know uh, that their mother thinks they're perfect, but uh, I don't always agree with that. And uh, no, they're great, you know, you know that. But uh, nonetheless, what? One of the things I learned as being a dad is that in those times when I was frustrated with them, in those times when my emotions were starting to rise, my anger was starting to rise, that was not the time for me to speak the truth in love because I said the wrong things when I did that. I spoke more about my own ideas and my own attitude and my own selfishness than I did speak anything lasting into their lives. That's what I learned. What I learned is I had to, even though I was frustrated, when I, when I did that, I had to step away and calm the storm before I could sit down with, with my sons or my daughter and really speak to them the way God would want me to speak as a peacemaker and be able to talk truthfully, calmly, and honestly. That's what a peacemaker does. Amen? Follow that? Yeah, that's good stuff there. Do that and you'll be okay at home. Peacemakers also own their own mistakes and apologize. That's also what I had to do as a dad. Right? I had to be able, when I sat down and spoke to them with a renewed spirit, with the spirit of Christ, I had to be able to sit down and be honest with them and speak out of my own weakness. I had to own up to my own faults and my own failures in the situation. That's what peacemakers do. Peacemakers are ready to accept their own mistakes in the conflict, and they're ready to apologize for those mistakes. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, Right? Not just confess your sins to the Father, but confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The husband and wife in the, spirit, in the experience today, right? Where did they finally get to? Their voices came down and they finally said, you know what, I'm sorry, me too, I'm sorry, right? And they, they ended up, you know, embracing one another in forgiveness, right? And the important thing is at the end, What happened when their son walked in? The son walked in and said what? Everything okay in here? (laughs) Right? It wasn't because they were embracing. It's because conflict invades our families. Our kids are smart. They get it. And so we have to help them understand as well that we're willing to admit our own mistakes and apologize for our own faults. Be able to understand we too are broken just like they are. We speak out of our our weakness. That means that as peacemakers then, 
we will speak into each other's lives in truth. We're going to do that calmly. We're going to do that with the spirit of love. We're going to do that with the spirit of Christ. We're going to do that out of all humility, admitting our own weakness, faults, and failures. And we're going to look for forgiveness without strings or preconditions. No strings, no preconditions. You know what the preconditions look like in a family gathering, extended family? It's like one person's at one end of the table and the other person's at the other end of the table and they're both saying, well, I'm not going to talk to them today until they come clean. I'm just not going to talk to them until they admit they're wrong. I'm just not going to deal with them today until they tell me that it was there. You go, you know where that goes, right? It's keeping this ongoing uh, animosity and putting conditions on how you're going to recover the relationship. Now, that's different, by the way, than practicing forgiveness and then taking healthy steps to, re- to maintain a lasting relationship. So you may practice forgiveness and say, you know what, we need to make sure we stay right in this relationship. Let's go see a counselor, a Christian counselor, so we stay in a right place. That's good, right? That's healthy. But it's the preconditions and the strings that say, unless that person, right, That's not the way forgiveness works. Look at Colossians. It says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against one another, forgive how? As the Lord forgave. So let me ask you this. Forgiven person in Christ. Did Jesus put any preconditions on your forgiveness? Did he make you somehow measure up before he died for you? Absolutely not. He just simply died for you because he understood love for you was greater than his own life. Peacemakers, peacemakers understand that principle. They understand that relationship needs to just get right because God has done that for each one of us. He's made us right. Last word, peacemakers will always point to the Prince of Peace. This is one of the greatest opportunities we have in our homes, not just to get our homes in a right place and and experience that blessing that God brings, but the witness that we make. Because there's so many homes out there in the world that are filled with conflict. When we get this right, when we step into becoming peacemakers, you're going to find people who are looking at your house and say, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because they are struggling. When we become peacemakers, we point to the Prince of Peace. Here's what it says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let me ask you this question in the verse. You ready? Who's doing the calling? It says they will be called children of God. Who's doing that? Who's doing that naming? Well, God is going to look at you and say, yeah, that's... Those are my kids. They're doing it. They're reflecting me, right? God's going to look at you and and begin to accomplish his preferred opportunity in your family, right? Your blessing. Because he's going to look at you and say, yes, that's my family right there, right? But so will other people. So will other people. Other people will look at your household. And they will look at you and say, they're different. How do they do that? And that becomes the opportunity for your family to make that witness and that testimony that can change somebody else's eternity. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So here's the question for the day. It's out of Romans. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. My question, in your family, in your marriage, in your house, in your extended family, how much does it depend on you to be a peacemaker? How much is God depending on you to step into that role, not being a peacekeeper, but step in and be a peacemaker? Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes, our minds today, that we could be really peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers, because there's, there's so much uh, conflict and uh, hurts, uh, not only in our homes, but our extended families, and uh, you put it to us, uh, because you've done it for us. You stepped into our lives. You stepped in to make peace between us and you, to forgive us without conditions, to make us new people, your people. And we just want our homes uh, to reflect you so that you'll look and say, yes, those, that's my family. And we want your blessing. And so we ask, uh, just challenge us today that uh, as this day unfolds now, that uh, somebody in this room would be moved to be a peacemaker in their marriage, to be a peacemaker with their kids, to be a peacemaker in their extended family, and to get things right, to get things righteous. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.